The Meet for TCAS is brought to you in part by SoneLab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. the record button. Have we started? We have started. So this is the Meet for Tea cast. You might always start like that. Who knows? Hello. Hello. This is Elizabeth McDuffie. This is Mark Allen Miller. We come to you for episode 17 from Casa de Cooper. Our friends are putting us up as we wait for our apartment to be rebuilt after the fire. In the grandest place I have ever been in. We are not coming to you from under three elephants. I hope the three elephants survived. I think they might have. But we are coming to you from under an absolutely enormous Chinese lantern in a very ornate dining room and a very embroidered, gorgeous silk tablecloth complete with fringe. I think I noticed that the ceiling is of like bamboo. There, yeah. There is an Asian flair, kind of Victorian. Back in the battle days, they like to call this style <sighs> Orientalist. Mm-hmm. Ew. So, it's July 3rd. I don't know about you guys. I'm not feeling all kinds of 4th of July spirit feeling an overwhelming sense of fear, anger and disappointment I have to say I agree I'm I'm really not feeling it this year we just heard a giant firework display and it's awesome actually clearly a private over the tree line it's clearly a private display Someone spent some money on those fireworks. Yeah, they, were, they were big. They were they were probably miles away, and you could see them and hear them. I wish they would have taken that same money and sent it to the Southern Poverty Law Center or the NAACP, or the, I could name a whole bunch of places where that money could do good in the world. Yeah, when we're young, well, when I was really little, fireworks scared the crap out of me. Uh, I loved them, but I also was completely scared. I had to cover my ears and. You know, they freaked me out, but I still love seeing them. And, I, and then when I was a little older, I actually really loved listening to them. I liked the sound of the when they launched. I loved going to see them with my uncle, John, who is a retired professor emeritus in chemistry from the University of Michigan. <laughs> and when I would see fireworks with him, he'd explain the various chemical components that created the colors. They'd be like, well, now there's some cadmium mixed with. (laughs) And that made fireworks pretty fascinating for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. I I remember when I was about six years old, I brought a tape recorder and recorded the fireworks because I started to become fascinated with the sounds. Hey, well, here we are. You know, I'm still recording everything. (laughs) I recorded the lid from a trash can banging in the wind a few weeks ago because it was just so cool. I recorded a toilet flushing when my kids were little. We, we made in, homemade industrial music tapes when my <laughs> children were babies. But yeah, it, it seems to me that the, the, the extravagance of the money we spend on these displays for Independence Day is 
kind of silly. And know, independence hundreds, for whom? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in you know, major cities. It's a huge amount of money to blow shit up. Okay. And then, if you go back in history a little bit, go read Frederick Douglass's speech, which is called, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? Just go do it. You will never look at the 4th of July the same way again if you have a soul. I'll tell you that much. Um, it's, His autobiography is well worth a read, too. So, you've all, you all have homework. Let's cut to the chase. We've got a couple lovely guests. We have some brilliant guests, and this is our second podcast devoted to giving space for black voices and just giving space for them to express themselves however they feel. Yep, no no, no constraints. Certainly not to educate white people on what we're supposed to do right now because we can do our own damn research. These people are tired of our shit. Yeah, figure it out, people. Do your own work. But listen to their voices at the same time, but don't ask them to tell you how to do it. So we've got some brilliant women with us tonight. We have Khalees Smith and Nicole Young in conversation, and it's entertaining, lively, thought-provoking, and might go a little ranty in places, which I think would be appropriate right about now. Perfectly justified, if you ask me. Also, we are going to have uh, several pieces of music from the last couple of records I did with a uh, artist who now lives in the Valley. Well, has lived in the Valley for quite some time, but she's lived in New York and other places. Uh, kind of a rock star in her own right, or, mm-hmm. uh, or a jazz and folk um, singer-songwriter star, but I still qualify that as rock star. Pamela Means, um, she has become a dear friend over the years. I met her as a client originally in my studio, and we've just we've become great friends and she has one of the most dynamic not just dynamic voices but dynamic guitar styles if you want a challenge as a recording engineer you record something mm-hmm. like Pamela means because she will go from whisper quiet which means every little background noise matters to the point where she's so loud that you're scrambling to try to avoid distortion in your microphone preamps. It's astounding. And to see her live is a treat. Yeah, I don't know when we're going to be able to do that again. She did play a Cirque in 2014, and at some point we'll we'll do a, a Cirque podcast. And perhaps we'll have some of the recordings from that Cirque of hers. But these are going to be recordings scattered throughout this podcast of tracks from her uh, last couple releases. She has a new one coming out pretty soon with a trio that she plays with. But these are from, you know, more recent, but not the most recent record. And I will put links to those records, or at least to her website or both, in the show notes. But uh, so the music, I think maybe we'll even start off before the conversation start off with a song. I think we should start off with, with a song. We can start off with a song. Do you want to start off with her, her song, Impeachment Now? Yes, please. Okay, that's what we're going to do then. So, without further ado, Pamela Means, and then a conversation with Nicole Young and Khalees Smith. Mm-hmm. 
clad clan with the tiki torches and racist chants but the silent protest non-violent focus peaceful and courageous he calls the sons of bitches the president is incompetent and embarrassment impeachment now the president is incompetent and embarrassment impeachment now Red and blue establishment Bowing to big money influence Complicit in the highest sense You Bible-thumping hypocrites Cashing in on the environment Rolling back rights that we died to get Corporate tax breaks permanent I don't think that's what Jesus meant The president is incompetent An embarrassment impeachment Now the president is incompetent An embarrassment impeachment So I'm just going to introduce you and then you, you can add to my introductions. But I have with me for episode 17 of the Meet for Tea cast, um, second in a series of Black Lives Matter podcasts we've been doing where people get to express their vitriol and rage. Um, I have with me Kali Smith and Nicole Young. Welcome, guys. Psyched to have you. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much for this platform. Let me just briefly introduce you, and I'm going to have you augment my introductions in case I leave something out because I'm speaking extemporaneously. I don't have notes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> like the plug for your band, Khalees. <laughs> extemporaneously. So, Khalees is a. DJ, a musician, a playwright, and a writer of multiple other genres of 
things. And also she plays a pretty important role at Tepatico, which is a cool, cool business that has just stuff you want, t-shirts you want, games you want. And did I leave anything out, Khalees? No, I think that's all. Wow. Yeah. All right. And Nicole Young is a poet and event organizer and activist and educator and a scholar. Mm. I do the most. <laughs> you, it sounds like you did. Did I leave anything out, Nicole? Um, and I, my full-time job is with a local nonprofit. <laughs> Do you want to tell their name or would they not? Yeah, um, I currently work for the United Way of Pioneer Valley, which is based in Springfield, Mass. And we serve the 25 towns, in, well, the 23 towns and cities of Hampton County and South Hadley and Granby. Sweet. Yes. <laughs> you do a lot. I think that you guys are both ladies who do a lot. You've got your hustle and your side hustles on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All of them. So where shall we start? We can start anywhere you guys want. How are you guys feeling these days? Fucked up. (laughs) Right on. I'm not going to lie. Like something. Please don't. (laughs) Like something that happened recently. I'm not going to name who this is because it's local. Um, But I literally had to call out and say, not necessarily regarding Black Lives Matter, but just about like my role in the community, I was like, I have to pull back from a lot of stuff. I do not only work full time and part time, I teach at the Bart Micro College in Holyoke, which is a job I absolutely love. Um, I love teaching there. I am a part of like three or four boards. I fundraise for UMass. I'm a part, I do volunteer work for the Community Foundation. I do, and I'm a member of a board of directors for an arts organization in New York City. I do a lot. And I'm called upon to do a lot. And sometimes, even though I don't think people do it intentionally, I feel like they call on me not only because I can do these things and I've proved that I could do these things, but I'm the model minority. And like, you can get so many, you could check off so many boxes with me. And I remember years ago, one of my former professors was like, wow, you're a walking grant proposal. You're queer, you're black, you're from a working class family you are, you know, wait, you're, you're like overeducated. I'm like, yeah, I check off a lot of boxes. And so. Yeah. The burden of being exceptional. Yeah. And so. Exactly. Yeah. And so in this moment, I'm tired. It's like, I'm tired of being called upon, but also I know I need to show up and I want to be able to, to like strategically show up if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. There's something I brought up with like some friends of mine, but it's like the issue of ambassadorship, especially in communities that don't diversify very much because the minute you show up and you're the one, you're the mouthpiece and how much responsibility that is and that ends up being whether you intended for it to be or not. And like, especially as somebody who grew up being that one person or that one of like less than a handful of people especially now where there's a lot of um, solidarity flailing, I think is a good way to put it. It, No, it is. Um, Awkwardly flailing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like 
where there's a lot of good intentions, but not a lot of people know where to put any of that energy, like that skill. I'm not even sure I should call it a skill, but like that, maybe it's habit or like just extreme code switching, like has kicked into high gear for every time I engage with almost anyone. And yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting. I'm kind of tired of being called a boy. Yeah, and so I'm really glad that Elizabeth thought to bring the two of us together to talk. Because, <laughs> it was a natural yeah. choice. Yeah, because I yeah. feel like, and this is where Khalees and I have overlapped. We overlap because we are two of the Black women that are based in the Pioneer Valley that's called upon all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I I have to say... I'm not going to interject a lot here, but I have to say I feel a little bit guilty that the day when East Hampton was having East Hampton Neal's Day, I reached out to you, Khalees, because I know Black people are exhausted with white people saying, what should I do? But Mark's landlord at the studio was getting ready to do one there. I'm like, wait a minute, I, I want to get in the way of this and and read the pulse of this right now before someone does something really ugly and really stupid. But I feel guilty putting you in a position of advising the clueless whites how they're supposed to respond to, though. But also at the same time, I feel like, and sorry, Kalisa, if I cut you off, but also I feel like you have a really, Meat for Tea has a very captive audience. And I know for myself, and this was something that I talked about in debriefing about the event Black Writers Read that I hosted on Juneteenth is that I've noticed in order to get my work out there, either I have to produce an event that features other people that draws an audience, or I have to be invited to the table that already has an audience. Mm. So I feel like this is what this podcast episode is doing. It's not to toot my own horn, but it's giving me somebody who's been in the community for a long time, who has been a creative since they were like six years old, a platform to a whole other audience that may not have access to my work and access to my voice. Good. That's what, yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Speak on that, (laughs) Khalees. Well, like, I don't, I don't know. I have always, I have strange relationships with my work itself. Um, But like I'm participating in a thing at the river tomorrow morning and I've been thinking about that and also writing this application for you and like what I keep being asked and keep having to think about like what I want people to know about this situation yeah, um, and about like, I guess more current situation than anything else, because honestly, I feel like history wise, like that's on y'all. You can like, there are books, there are articles. There certainly are. There's, there's a lot out there. It's not really promoted a whole lot, but, you know, like, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort for you to find out. But with regarding things that are happening now, and especially, like, I feel almost too upset to make work, which is rare for me because, like, especially music-wise... Music and and poetry has been a lot of how I process both anger and pain, mm-hmm. and um, in part because of 
the way that I make music, which is much easier for me with other people. Like I've been stymied in that. And regarding writing work, everything I write feels too light to actually convey the things that I want it to say. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting, not necessarily trying to censor the messages that I feel need to get out in the world, but just almost overstimulation of messages that want to get out into the world Mm. and being kind of overwhelmed by that. So, um, like it's, it's, for me, it's been an interesting look at how I create and the relationship I have between rage and information and pain as, as conduit and as, as units to use. I did, I feel like I went off on a rail. No, but you bring <laughs> up, I like it. No, but I like you, it. But you bring up a very valid point and question. Cause I'm always asked what, informs my work and how did I find my way to writing? And my writing was very reactive. I'm initially a classically trained musician and I have degrees in theater and I didn't start writing until I moved to Western Mass because I felt extremely othered and I'm originally from Detroit. And so all Mm. of my writing has been very reactive. And I've noticed when I try to write things about love and flowers and positivity Nothing can get on the paper. Whereas if I'm writing from a position of rage or fuck you, your mama, your ancestors, (laughs) like the juices flow. And I've always wondered for myself and Khalees, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to really investigate this, but why, why do you think the pen and paper has been the play, like why has pen and paper been the, the way in which you can float your rage, if that makes sense as a question? You know, it's almost, I feel like it's almost akin to photography because it captures like specific moments in, in that and working through it that maybe you want to come back to, maybe you don't, but like, it's out and it's there as a snapshot of you in this moment. And like, I've always been able to work through myself a lot better than, I feel the same way about like love and happy, happy things. Like I'm not good. (laughs) (laughs) Like happy, straight up happy work, longing work. Sure. But I think that also like that sort of, and I wouldn't necessarily call them negative qualities. It's just like more intense um, and not in a love way. Um, things are are easier for me to, to work with um, or it has to be absolutely ridiculous. My parody game has been on point this this. Oh my God. <laughs> like you have no idea. My family writes parodies in general as like a family because we're weirdos. Nice. But like, Crap, has my parody game been on point? Have you written anything <laughs> new, Khalees? You know, I'm open for submissions. Wink, nudge, <laughs> wink, nudge. Yes! I haven't published you in a long time, girl. <laughs> I know, I know. I miss your writing. I know, I know. I just, it's like, so good. I write it, I put it away. <laughs> or I look at it, and I'm like, uh, this isn't that good. I never put that away. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Yeah, like, humor, like, I find myself like being a lot, gravitating a lot more towards humor, both in 
trying to connect with people and in the work that I've been creating, it turns out, which is interesting and cathartic in ways I wasn't necessarily expecting, especially when people kind of expect you to be the funny one oh. or to kind of let it roll. It's been interesting to like have people key into like the truths with the truths and the jokes there. Um, which it, it, other people have been doing too. I just never necessarily thought of it being as true for me. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Who do you find connects with your jokes? Because jokes is one of those things that can get like it can be very culturally specific. So like you could be right. writing something and wanting to deliver it to this type of audience, but it doesn't hit or resonate with the audience in the way that it should have. And then it would backfire. So I'm just curious, like how, like what's when you write comedy and when you write humor, what audience do you write it for and why? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. I think in in part because it's been easier to, to bounce, bounce things off of individuals as I'm writing it, it's for, if I make that person laugh, I'm good. <laughs> so like, um, and, and then we can stop talking about me in a sec, but like, so extemper kind of sort of has this joke side project. Um, what? and <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, I, I have, now that I've said it out loud, like Lynn and I are going to have to actually like really make it happen instead of just talking about That's it. That's the way it works. <laughs> But, like, we made joke songs during the quarantine, like, all about, like, how to get off during quarantine. Oh, <laughs> especially if you're alone. That would be interesting. Right? We called it, I, we had this song we wrote called Isolation Clams. Oh, <laughs> I'm so excited for this. No, it's, so, it's, it's wonderful, but it's also terrible in, like, a wonderful sort of way. So, like, if I could make, like, basically, I'm like, do you, does this work? And she's like, yeah, it totally works. I'm like, all right, well, that's, like, I just need you to believe in it. (laughs) Like, Nicole, have you found any roadblocks in your work in this time? Well, everybody's up in arms and we all try to move towards better futures. Yes. So, well, yes and no. I find that I can't, I have had a hard time generating new work. I have had great luck at returning to previous work and rewriting. Um, I can definitely say from, well, one, there's a lot of reasons why one, my life has changed. I now live with my significant other, his daughter, my brother in Windsor, Connecticut. So my, my domestic life has shifted. Then work has shifted. So even though I'm somewhat working remotely, I'm actually working more because the type of organization that I work for services and assists first res- like first responders and people who do direct service in this time. So my brain, I can never get it to switch. It's been really hard to get it to switch to the mm. creative. And I think this is why I've been doing more event producing because I'm like, I need to keep my, f- my foot in the game. And so I challenged myself to finally start resubmitting Elizabeth. I hope you take a note of this. Um, resubmitting I am, for my ears are wide open. Yes, resubmitting <laughs> for publication. So like I submitted to a couple of contests and things like that. 
I am open for submissions right now. And the theme of the other half of the double issue I'm releasing, because I skipped the June cycle for uh, COVID reasons, Mm -hmm. um, is Black Current. Black Current. Oh. Oh. (laughs) So, woof. Yeah, Q, Q Mocha. Um, one of the Hi, Mocha. <laughs> He's adorable and eats everything. I, I, I like a dog. Yay. And so I've gone back to work that I've written months, years ago. And I'm like, okay, let me retackle it and re-edit it. So I have, I like, I, I want to be writing new stuff, but I just haven't found the energy to do it, but I'm glad that I've been able to revisit some of my older work and trying to make it, re- make it relevant. Like for example, like with um, the black woman shall speak now, which is on my album, what I did. So this was actually last year. I was invited to speak at a rally at one of the schools in Holyoke um, regarding mm-hmm. the news that was found at I think it was Donahue. And I just, because I was like, this poem talks about my response to men and dating and how me as a black woman date. And I was like, there's going to be families and kids here, but someone wants me to perform this piece. So I decided to take out certain sections and to rewrite some sections. So what ended up happening, the piece kind of evolved because then other people wanted me to read it. And so now I have like a section that I kind of revise depending on the moment. And so recently I, for the Juneteenth event, I inserted a stanza in response to um, women, both cis and trans women, all of our sisters being murdered by authority figures, not just via police, but via lovers. And that's a whole other story. So I, I've taken this moment as an opportunity to, short answer <laughs> to revisit a lot of my previous work. Do you have that piece handy? That sounds like such a great segue for you to read it. Like I do right now. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do that. Yay. <laughs> this loud black woman shall speak. Now you silence me in fear for what I have to say. will teach you. You silence me in fear for what I have to say. will reach you. You censor me, though my points are universal. I may not look like you, sound like you, or act like you. My views are important as well. Sit back and enjoy this role reversal, for I have something to say. I can get hood every once in a while. Realize this educated sister speaks from experience. I open my mouth, you think I've gone delirious. What do you think I'm here for? Was I really born to cook, clean, and care for children that aren't mine? Have you seen my apartment? Have you tasted my last home-cooked meal? Me, a babysitter? Really? These one-dimensional expectations are ridiculous. When music is loud, people get excited. When a car horn sounds, it's loud. When a train's coming, it gets loud. Warnings are loud. Loud is used to get your attention. I raise my voice, not in violence. My text increases in volume as a tool for awareness. Here comes what people might consider as hard evidence. Listen closely. Bear witness as some truths will be revealed in this rant. 
We are always angry. We have multiple baby daddies. We lie in bed all day expecting governmental handouts. We unfairly take up space. We don't want to work. We expect you to take care of us. We are disrespectfully sassy and disregard authority as we believe we know it all. I will continue on. It's time to get candid for I've got more inaccuracies to expose. I stand before you as a three-time college grad with two master's degrees in hand. This once uncertain and unsure little black girl originally from the Motor City has accomplished a lot both on her own and through a community of support. Don't let this Afro skin color, long nails, tattoos, and sometimes attitude, the y'alls I drop every once in a while, and a slip into an unfamiliar dialect fool you. Best believe I'm a positive contributor to society who has always paid her dues. Black women provide much more than what we receive credit for. We are mothers, daughters, sisters, aunties, doctors, lawyers, accountants, dentists, teachers, paraprofessionals, crossing guards, custodians. Policymakers, law enforcement, first lady, and groundbreakers. We are your neighbors, your loved ones, and in a lot of cases, your next of kin. Yet, we're the first you wish to unsee. I'm tired of my sisters being murdered. Until their families and loved ones get justice, I will invoke their spirits from the grave. Rakia, Sandra, Brianna, Ayana, Catherine, Eleanor, Rhea, Taisha, Dominique, Duana, Ayana, Mulasia, Jane, Miriam, Yvette, and countless others. No one should ever, ever feel the right or responsibility to assume an authority over anyone's existence. All of these women should still be breathing. We're always expected to follow the rules even when our peers of a lighter hue are the only ones who know what it's like to choose. Too many judge those who look like me at a moment's glance unwilling to give us that first chance. I have every right to be angry and pissed and to resist. Think twice before you provoke stereotypes as your guide to start a conversation. That person you might make a slight judgment on is two of God's creation. My list of frustrations is fairly long, but today I'll ask you just to take a note of just a few. I'm loud because my sisters are hurting. I'm loud because anytime someone hurts us, we're told to be quiet that our pain is just a made-up label. I'm loud because we were the first to receive poor medical treatment and to be beaten or murdered by lovers, and at the same time told that we were served what is our fault. I'm loud because my people have been silenced for centuries, yet always forced to carry the load. It is through my ancestor's strength that I'm able to uplift the pearls that flow from soul to vein to ink to paper to stage. My podium is the world. My stage is your floor. My voice opens doors. I hope that what I've shared today will no longer be ignored. I've now come to the time you've all been waiting for. It is time for this loud black woman to take a break. Don't hesitate because I'll be back to deliver some more news for no one else will tell my story better than I can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is not fake news. But it is a good segue because while you were talking, especially the this is the second time I've heard that poem, but it got me thinking about the issues of volume and like where amplification happens and the toll that it sometimes takes mm-hmm. when it happens, especially like now when it seems like this spring has been a oh. parade of like black death. Yeah. <laughs> so much so. Of various, of various types of like black and indigenous death. This has just been like you know and we've been getting a lot of it i feel like having one of those like factory signs at 
I did actually have on my phone like days since last last publicized Black Death. Oh my god! And I think in June, the longest I got was four days. Oh wow! Jim Crow, Tennessee, a sharecropper son, far from luxury. Moved up north in 1952, and a damn thing changed from his point of view. His point of view. Now I've been pulled over on a shore wood shoulder, asked where you're going, where you been. Business, don't I look like an American? You're gonna think what you want now, don't you? I didn't know the side of the road was a courtroom. Everything dark comes out in the light. We keep marching on, but our souls are tired. Cause here we are again, here we are again A black man gone cause of the color of his skin The color of his skin I was grown and groomed in the Great Lakes Midwest Where politeness Covers up years of repressed tight lips, tight asses, too slow to grow, hypersegregated masses, and I had to go. I had to go. I seen the Rodney King riots in 1992, a black president, I seen that too, but ain't a damn thing changed from my point. of black death there has been there was this question um when george floyd was murdered and captured on video and it circulated this question mm-hmm. around should we watch the video and should it circulate and my thing is what well, one i avoided watching the video because i'm like we all know how this story ends and i've avoided watching a lot of videos because i feel like 
given that we're, we're, I look at us as consumers always and how experiences and the ways in which we interact with film and television and things that we consume, it then turns how we interact with one another. And my thing is we already see enough Black death and Black neg- negativity on the screen. For example, we tend to be the first to die in horror films. So when you're conditioned mm-hmm. to... Not just horror films. Right. right. <laughs> All the films. All the films. <laughs> when you're conditioned to see Black life in a particular way, when you have access to the real deal, like when George Floyd was murdered, you then you're desen- by that time you're desensitized because you've already seen fictionalized versions of it. So I feel like you don't take it as seriously. And so I'm like, like there's this part of me that's like, I don't want to see it. I feel like some people shouldn't see it because they're already desensitized and they're not going to see George Floyd as human. But also some people like need to catch COVID because I feel like that's the way things are going to be remedied need to see it so that they can they can actually understand holy shit this is how he died this like you know they really need to sit with them i actually kind of feel the opposite um i feel like that video is not for everybody like i didn't and I also didn't watch it because Me neither. like frankly for the same reasons like i know how it ends like people who are in my community know how it ends I don't necessarily need to watch that. But I also feel like, especially for the white community, like it's been one thing to watch videos like George Floyd's death and to see it in movies. Like people are desensitized to seeing it in movies, but that's fiction. Seeing it happen on a street where you could live with people that look kind of like you in the picture reframes that a little bit Mm -hmm. in a way that I think brought it a little more to four for people, which is why there's still like a bit of momentum. I feel like it's slowing down and I'm really worried about that, but, and I don't want there to be more black death to keep the momentum up because Jesus Christ. But I, I do feel like there's, and I feel like there was that, that wave when, uh, Philando Castile happened too. Like there's something different about it being fictionalized. And I'm not saying that that's good because it's not. But like when you see that, if you're willing to see it and you see that that's real goddamn blood, that person is bleeding out or that person's not like not breathing and someone is literally kneeling on their neck, like that's not fucking fiction. This is happening. No one doctored this. Like like that's real. Like we haven't just been like talking out of our asses for the past decades about what people do to us this is what they do to mm-hmm. us and it's not it's not fiction it's not like a blockbuster no it's your regular goddamn corner on the street where somebody died and no one did anything about it yeah and i think that's probably why and a lot of black death has happened leading up to george floyd but i think that's probably why all of the protests and all of the marches are, have happened post his death in response to his death because so many people were standing around. So many people could have intervened. And then also from what I understood was his cry and his wail for yes. yep. help. So it 
it, 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 his, his dying motivated a lot more people to move. Mm-hmm. Also, I would like not to bring the, the socioeconomic thing into it, but the fact that people aren't really working, so we have time to protest. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> that's yeah. a thing. Like, that's real, too. Like, if you have to go, if you're worried about going to work, like, this may bother you, but you're probably also worried about your day-to-day in a way that doesn't let this take precedence. And having the fact that, like, almost everybody's at home and kind of has to stay at home to get like to sit with that anger to try and process it without compartmentalizing it and putting it on the back burner because you have other things to do you ain't got shit else to do like like think about it process it go learn some things and then get out in the streets with us because like it's not going to be better for you <laughs> without like it it's again it's the none of us are free until all of us are free thing like if you don't help us like this world will not get better mm-hmm. period yeah, and Definitely. I yeah, and I find it interesting comparing it to like the the um the riots in the '60s, in particular mm-hmm. um the 1967 riots of Detroit. And I have my parents who are not deceased; they lived through that, and they were children through that. And seeing like how that moment, and it did turn into deadly air quotes race riots because of the people who started retaliating and fighting Mm. back and all of that. Mm -hmm. And it changed the landscape of Detroit. I wouldn't say for the worse, but it really shifted the cultural landscape. Cause I remember my mom telling when she told me about it, she was both my parents were 10 and they lived in very different neighborhoods. My mom lived in a very upper middle-class predominantly Jewish neighborhood. And my dad worked in a predominantly black working class neighborhood and where my dad lived was where the riots happened because that's where um, that was the the blind pig that was it was in his neighborhood. And my mom literally one minute, you know, the neighborhood was doing really really well, predominantly white and Jewish. Now I literally went on Google to look up my grandparents' house on Grand Avenue in Detroit. And it has now been torn down. Every other house on that street has either been torn down or abandoned. And a lot of people have left that neighborhood. But before that, it was a, it became predominantly Black, poor, and working class. And so what I'm hoping in this resurgence, because I feel like this happens like every 50 years almost. It does. That... Every 20. Right. That, well, every 20. <laughs> yeah, feels like every eight or nine. Um, that some, like some, positive is not the right word, but some change that will give the marginalized majority a bigger voice. Because what I don't, what I don't want to see happen is another 1960, summer 1967 Detroit, where just like, the business we lost a business district we that's when the suburbs started to develop and all of that stuff and we lost a lot of self economy and i i just right. i really i really hope something positive does come out of this because i don't know if the right ears that need to hear are ready to hear 
And that actually gets me to a point that I've been making as I make the protest rounds because I go when I can. Um, I'm in the middle of moving, so. Oh, boy. <laughs> I go when I, yeah. Moving in the middle of summer in the middle of a pandemic is the best best thing ever. That's Let about me tell you. as smart as having a house fire in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Right. I hate where I live, so I have to leave. So, mm. <laughs> but like one of the things that I thought would happen, and I still am hoping, I've been reaching out to folks who are in local chapters of this, but like something that I would expect to see at protests are folks like Rock the Vote, oh. like um, the right voting people. Definitely. Like, that intersection should definitely be happening, and it's not. And I wonder why. And it's, and well, like, I wonder why in part, but like, it's like considering all of the incredible things that get to happen now that the voting act doesn't exist anymore, right? that we're now seeing play out across like Rust Belt and South, like it seems even more important for organizations like that, that are interested in getting people registered, that are interested in seeing leadership like that change on a basic level to show up at protests like this and register people and make sure people are registered because I'm betting a good, like I'm betting at least some of them aren't. And those are the folks you want voting for your candidate because like, those are the, like those are the people that you want like involved Seriously. in the change in the world. So why not engage them? There's this issue of intersectionality that's kind of plagued, that's plagued a good deal of this where I see it, here i'm not sure if and there's there's a little bit of that in the broader sense but especially on something as basic as that like i'm it's kind of confounded me that it that that hasn't happened and i know part of it is like like pandemic and covid based because like you know we're not really supposed to touch each other but like <laughs> I, but also i feel like their presence there would be a really good thing to try and encourage people to be more involved in the processes that actually get those changes made. Yeah. And I, yeah. yeah, part of it is that like people don't actually know the proper people to ask. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Khalees. And I'm about to bring up a uh, humanities term that Elizabeth should be familiar with the whole, but the notion of the whole, but, and like you have to, oh, right. yes, you have to do one. I hate that. Exactly. But I'm about to use it in a good in a in a in a good in a good caveat because I hate about time. I know because I hated time. it. I hate I hate it too. And but and what about those good cops? But and yes. oh my god, yes. In terms of this, like we call it railing. Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> yes, and it sucks. Yes, like in terms of how I see the but and in this moment. Referencing what Kalisa said is the whole intersectionality piece. You go to a rally, you get your voice heard, but what happens after that? Like where, because those people, a lot of those mm -hmm. people have a momentum now, but how do they really get their voice heard? Because what happens at rallies, I forget who, there was another interview I did recently and I said, you know, like why I've been strategic about like, if I go to a rally, I will, you know, step back and watch and not say anything. Sometimes mm -hmm. for me, rallies and protests are preaching to the choir. It's preaching to people 
Right. You have so many people there who are already on the same page. So people, the people that you really need to listen to are not going to be there. So you do need to rally those people to take the next step. And that's what I mean by the, by the, but not the, but, and, but the both, and like you need, like it can't just stop at a protest or a rally. You need like, you like these people, especially with how our systems are set up, you need to give them the tools of the voice that tends to be heard. And it is that ba- it's the ballot and the money ballot and money are the things right. that get heard in this country. Not like, per- I feel like protests are to show there is some momentum here, but it's not the thing that's going to change systems and policy. Yeah. I was hanging out with um, some friends of mine in Pittsfield in a backyard, a little more than six feet away from each other on Juneteenth. (laughs) Of course. Like everybody wanted to, every, I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry that I caved, but I really needed to see brown faces that weren't mine. And so I stood in a lot of backyards Juneteenth weekend drinking, way too much. Yes. <laughs> um, I was in Pittsfield, like, and I was willing to go very far to see those brown faces because, like I said, I was in Pittsfield. But um, I was talking with uh, one of their council members and like some of the people on, on committees there about things that they're doing with the West Side, which is the Black community there. And there has been some things happening in Pittsfield. And I got curious about like how much of that happens in other places Mm. um like one of the things being like how upset the um the white people who are on the executive board of the their local chapter of the NAACP were upset to be unseated by brown people oh um wait uh wait a moment right Uh, let's not talk about how mad that made me uh because it made me very angry but um like, Sucks. and then like, literally like the, the councilwoman there was like, like run for council, run for council, run for council. And I'm like, I know why I, and I like, it's, there has to be a point where that, but for anybody who really wants to, to make change, even though it's uncomfortable, even though, because I like, I don't really want to serve on council, but like maybe for like some folks who should be involved, like that should be even more a reason for you to run. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like my own personal bias makes me feel like generally people who want that job probably shouldn't have it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's valid in most cases. <laughs> but like at the same time, like she was right. Like if voices like ours don't get on the council, then like they don't get heard. So even though it's uncomfortable, like maybe more of us should just run even if we don't have a chance, even if it doesn't seem likely, even if we don't necessarily want it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is an uncomfortable thing to say, but there have to be a lot more ways to inject different voices into the systems we have in place. Mm -hmm. Because if that's not the case, then we really do have to just break the system. Yeah. And speaking of breaking the system, one of the things that I love, and now I understand why the voting age is 18, because under 18 has a lot of power and can unseat a lot of motherfuckers. The 
Right. Right. Yes. The rally um, that the occupant who I will never recognize because we are a leaderless country right now. Um, Yes. In in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and hearing that, you know, fans of K-pop all, you know, got together and reserved tickets to that rally to make sure people didn't have access to them and just hearing how they use like TikTok and all of that, you know, to try to move. Right. And I was like (laughs) the average age of maybe a K-pop fan. And this is just me pulling this number out of my ass. is probably 13 or 14. And kids. Right. And I'm just like, I I'm honestly, I'm so glad that we live in a time that the next generation is like, you don't have to pass the baton bitches. We are stealing that shit and we are doing shit that y'all had no idea of. And we're also not looking for accolades either. And I feel like if, like, I know why the voting age is 18, because also that bracket, like, of middle schoolers and high schoolers, when you think about the rage that they have due to hormones and dating for the first time and learning how to be independent and all this stuff, and they're being educated on what's going on in the world, no doubt. They will be the. They will be at the polls days before camping out with blankets and shit, waiting for the door to open. But this is why systems have been created and the ways in which they've been created because they know where the power sits. So they create policies to disempower those who we know will have a lot of power. Because I'm just imagining. I know of some 13, 14, and 15 year olds who, if they had an opportunity to vote back in 2016, that Oompa Loompa motherfucker would not be in office right now. No fucking way. No, which I was, which I was going to say when you, re- when you really think about, um, like, I, I think I may be the only one that thinks this and like, no, you're not like the point I was going to make is that like, there's actually a, a large portion of <laughs> Jello Biafra's like spoken word stuff that he said for like literally decades. Yes. Like we should the voting age to five. Yeah. Like, yes. when you grow up, when you grow up having oh the responsibility to vote, you take better care of it. And yeah. Like it's it's a thing that he like the first time I saw him, he said it. And like every other time I've seen him speak, he always like it's one of the first points that he makes. And I am I've been for it every time. Yes. Just like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am so absolutely. here for that. Yes. I'm so here for that. He's like, you got object permanence, you understand what right and wrong basically is. Like yes. somebody can talk to you on your level. It actually made me think of you know the picture of the little girl on, I'm guessing, her father's shoulders at a rally. And she has a little cardboard side with the scribble and the multiple cards. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's perfect and wonderful. I was it's like, so that is my favorite protest sign ever. So just imagine if she... Like, that is also an accurate disc- depiction of our current <laughs> state of the country. <laughs> it is. Like, she is pissed off. That is American realism for sure. <laughs> so just imagine what she would have, what she would do, you know, if she had the ability to vote now. Which it's mm-hmm. only just putting an X in a box. A five-year-old can actually do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, again, like also think about the ways that like folks campaigning would have to change and adjust their campaigns if they also had to like campaign to demographics way out of their generation gap and try to get them to like them and uh, like the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like it would change the language 
of the political landscape so radically that indeed like, you know so radically it wouldn't be old white man ease over and over and over again yeah which is what well, we can hope <laughs> perhaps yeah you know, sure. my 11 year old granddaughter lives in on the west side of philly and she's grown up being the only little white girl mainly in her neighborhood which she loves like she's got all her friends and they're all very neighborly and they're great but she's really sad that since coronavirus she hasn't been able to go to any protests because her entire babyhood and childhood has been going to marches and protests one after another and they're too dangerous right now actually um i was talking to my daughter her mom and they're advised to keep children home from protests protests because you know the cops are being crazy and there's rubber bullets and there's tear gas and it's just it's not a place for an 11 year old at all it's not no not not especially the shame because it should be it should be it should be but she's like i love going to protest but i'm i'm doing things here she's been writing letters and postcards and oh god yeah, well, I also think it's really valuable. Maybe more people should just raise their children in neighborhoods where they where they get to be the so-called minority. Mm-hmm. And just feel that neighborhood, all the all of the neighborhood kids come up, they're like, Una, 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 do you want to play? And she is one of maybe three white children in blocks. And she's thriving. She loves it, and I, I just value the perspective she's going to grow up into a young woman with. Yeah, I think that part of that ends up being reexamining how Americans view comfort and how important that comfort is for mm-hmm. like your daily life and how we go about our interactions with other people. Like that's a good deal of the problem at the root of this. Like someone gets mildly uncomfortable. Because like they've never really been around brown people or black people or like or indigenous people or like anyone who doesn't look like them, and they immediately call some authority to come in and remove them. And so like like we have to be a a little more we have to as a nation be able to take a little bit more discomfort. And I have yes. to say in that statement, I am not talking about minorities. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. <laughs> about about ethnic minorities, um, because like again, intersectionality is another thing, and we have to, that's like a different conversation. But like, you have to be okay with like a base level of being uncomfortable with some things. Like, life isn't always comfortable, and it's cool. Like, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness does not necessarily guarantee your comfort as well. Yeah, it's not the so, pursuit of comfort. Right. At the expense of everyone else. Right. Like that sense of individualism that trumps. Uh, I hate that better, verb. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that supersedes. Let's use that one instead. There's so many um, other choices. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been tainted yes, forever. I've been trying to eradicate it. I know. How do we play cards anymore? Thank- I know. I was about to say, like playing spades has been real hard. Oh, in this God. <laughs> so many linguistic yeah. choices. Yes. <laughs> like that, that idea that like your individual 
comfort supersedes everything mm-hmm. else um, beyond like society and your community is something that we really have to like just straight out abolish. Mm-hmm. Like that has to go. And this is, yeah. Because, it, yeah, no, 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 is, go ahead. It's getting people killed yeah, at the end. It's getting people killed. <laughs> and this is why the EU is like, motherfuckers, y'all are not coming over here because y'all did right. not play nice in your sandbox. Y'all did not follow the rules. And this is for real. The thing that I just don't understand about that particular population, the Karens and the, oh. the Chads, like they feel like rules don't apply to them, but they apply to everybody else. And this is why I want these motherfuckers to get COVID because I'm like that. Honestly, I think that's the only way that people will feel the gravity of the severity of this issue is if someone close to them or themselves get it because uh, again, going to that whole individual self, like I only care for myself. I don't want to wear a mask because, and I, and honestly I hate, but it's the truth. I hate that the, the initial campaign, the initial public health campaigns at the beginning of the pandemic were, we don't want to overwhelm the hospitals and you need to wear a mask to protect other people. I'm like, they should have, even though that's the truth, they should have worded it differently. Yes. Because that really fucked us up. I think. I'm also Mm -hmm. really pissed off at the sudden uptick in people reporting being asthma sufferers and holding up mm-hmm. asthma as a reason for not wearing a mask like, because like absolutely not i have asthma Me i too. wore a mask in the middle move in the I sweltering did, yeah. heat yesterday moving right? up to the second floor all three of us have asthma we all wear masks so there's that yep. also i find maybe you guys too do too in this pioneer river valley which we could also nickname the pollen bowl of the U.S. Oh, dear God. Doesn't a mask when you're outdoors in the fucking yellow pollen at least help filter some of it out? I find it to be actually it does for me. a helpful thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know why yeah, that side of me. mask wearing. For anybody, this like, well, if you can't breathe properly, you can't expect to wear a mask. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, would you rather, like, not breathe for a couple of minutes or not breathe for the rest of your life? Like, just take a choice. Like, you can not breathe for a couple of and seconds, as you say, or breathe from under or not breathe from six feet under. Like, take a choice. <laughs> like, yeah. If you would like to see the world burn, I would just like to see it burn for a better purpose than you being mad about not getting a hair. I know. Yes. We have like literally like two two opposing things here happening. And the fact that like people at protests have been out in their masks protesting. Like that that one picture, that video of those folks sitting at that restaurant while the protest is going on in the background. <laughs> have you seen those? Yes. No. It's beautiful and it disturbing. Tells a, yeah. Quite a story. It is like it is such a perfect snapshot of where we are. Wow. <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah. Some grew hemp on the planet. 
All had slaves, they didn't free them. All had slaves, and some fucked them. Jimmy James Madison didn't give two shits about anyone. Polk's manifest destiny didn't work out for the Cherokee. Jimmy James, he said, the purpose of the government is to protect the minority of the opulent from the majority. One gold at the top and the rest on the rickety rickety rungs. We got the money, we got the guns, we got greed and idiocy, and embarrassment to everyone with any sense of decency. The purpose of the government is to protect the minority. Of the opulent from the majority, the purpose of the government is to protect the minority. Of the opulent from the majority. Populate profits, predictions, politicians salivate. Ellsberg, Manning, Snowden, Davis, heroes and dissidents. We all could use a daily dose of civil disobedience. We all could use a daily dose of civil disobedience. The purpose of the government is to protect the minority. Of the opulent from the majority, the purpose of the government is to protect the minority. Of the opulent from the majority. in just a moment. And welcome back. Like, I want to live someplace, like, I, I miss the neighborhoods of my childhood where, you know, we could play out in the street and then all of a sudden the streetlights come on and everybody's like, you got to get home to your parents. Or like... Mm-hmm. Right. Like there was a cookout and like everyone was fed and taken care of or like caravans to school. Yeah. Like it's like it. I wonder what yeah. happened culturally because there was a time when we all cared for one another. What? What? Happened? Well, did we all care for it? I mean, I just I, I'm sorry. I'm just coming off reading the um, most recent Colson Whitehead novel. 
Oh, <laughs> the Nickel Boys, which I, it, it's utterly devastating. And at the same time, I think an absolutely necessary read right now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's true. And you know this too, Nicole. Of course, if there's a point in our history where we all cared for each other, I think maybe some of us let y'all care for each other and stood back and cared for our own. Well, and ex- in a lot of cases, expected us to care for you too. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, the nannies, the mammies, the maids, the butlers. The, the, and, and kind of still, like, there's that, I mean, like that feeds into the like expecting black people to teach you about black history and, and black struggle also too, like which is why like the, the come get your people part of this movement has been a really nice thing to see. Go read, go read <laughs> the Nickel like Boys. That, if you really want to know something terrible yeah. in black history, read that. Pick uh, up some Colson Whitehead. You'll get a pretty good picture. Yeah. Or Yeah. There's so much to read. Read Girl, Woman, Other by Avaristo. Read The City We Became. Oh, The City We Became. Like all of all of her everything. I I, I just... I love her so much. I love her I love- so much. And I listened... Did you listen to her? She was... Um, I We did follow it online, of course, because no one was going anywhere. But when she's with Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman in conference... Yeah, I watched that. It was amazing. That was... She reminds me of you. Her voice reminds me of you and her diction and her level of articulation. Khalees. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I I absolutely adore. Yeah, adore, I, I figured um, that probably wasn't an insult. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not at all. She's <laughs> amazing. I think there's a lot of resources out there for otherwise would be Karens and Chads to pick up and educate themselves, but Karens and Chads aren't the ones that have the desire to do that, right? So what do we, yeah? What do we do? Well, <laughs> do they just catch COVID and die? I'm good with that, by the way. I don't. <laughs> I'm actually really cool with that. <laughs> I know. I kind of like that. That might be the solution. <laughs> is is Maybe that's what COVID is here as, is just the ultimate. Oh, my God. That sounds too Hitler. The ultimate solution. Wait, there's got to be another way to phrase that. No, but honestly, I'm glad you mentioned it because honestly, I just, I'm one of those people. COVID came at a very interesting time. It suddenly emerged around the time of primary elections. And most of the people that were suffering the most and dying were predominantly Black people. Yes, who yep. could get out and vote again? Like I think this motherfucker's trying anything and everything to keep his <laughs> seat. Because if we were to have elections as is, that bitch would not be back in office. I'm sorry. Like, and I, I well, really think, like, he, I, I would agree with you yeah. before they shut down the poll, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> now they're making it real easy. Mm-hmm. So I just real easy. Yeah, I highly, like, it just, it like, the first primary elections were happening, and all of a sudden, pandemic, stay at home, people are dying, huh? Like, it couldn't have been more convenient timing. 
And then also all the attempts and some of which have been successful in making mail-in voting impossible, which is the safest way. For- oh, yeah. I mean, that's highly yeah. suspect. Like, coming when the minute they repealed the Voting Act, like, during Obama's presidency, which was, like, ridiculous when that crazy. happened. Like, a little crazy. A little crazy. And, like, getting something that puts those sanctions back in place is going to be so difficult now. Yeah. Like, it's going to be... That, that being repealed is so crucial like and something really does need to be put in place it does like back in place but like are we gonna get it i'm not sure before the country implodes i'm not sure Mm -hmm. like yeah like like whenever i think of trump and obama i i imagine like a bunch of little kids in preschool and Obama <laughs> won over the other little kids and they're playing in their little corner and building little Legos and shit and playing with dolls. And then Trump is pissed off that nobody wants to play with his stuff. So he comes over and stumps on everything and I'm going to ruin your little universe. Ha ha ha. That like, that's yep. what I imagine is what's happening right now because he's undoing everything that Obama's done and he's doing it on purpose. Systematically, systematically, like like dominoes, one after the... Yeah. It's just been really interesting, or rather enlightening to see the extent to which everybody hate not everybody, but like folks in power like him hate black people because there's nothing about this administration that hasn't been retaliatory. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like dismantling all of those sanctions in place, all of those protections that have been there. It has been like, it is again, like you say, like a ch- like someone throwing a tantrum yeah. and, or, you know, taking a shit in the sandbox yeah. so that no one gets yep. it. You can have it. Like, um, like, Oh, what, what was it? Eddie Murphy's raw. When he was like, Oh yeah, I got some ice cream and you can't hide. Nothing. And then it falls. And so now he didn't get the ice cream. That is so Trump. And Eddie's got a welfare burger. <laughs> Eddie's got a welfare burger. <laughs> I got McDonald's. <laughs> yes. And you are on the I recall. <laughs> Like. We're also at a point where the stuff that like SNCC was doing and like leading up to the Voting Act isn't really possible anymore because like getting poor working class white people on the same boat as like black and brown people isn't as likely now or possible now as it was then. Have you guys seen, there's a series on Hulu, um, who's the comedian? Um, Jamal, Jamali, I, I need to look up his last name. It's called Hate Thy Neighbor. Oh, I have heard mm. of it. It's, yeah, I just watched the first episode last night where he goes and he like hangs out with neo-Nazis and a neo-Nazi dad and father of six in his home. It's like wild yeah. and hilarious at some points. Like um, their efforts to try to build a wooden swastika, they're not crafty. I'll just leave it there. They're not crafty. They're swastika. It, it, it falls apart, actually. Oh, wow. So, mm-hmm. I found that satisfying. <laughs> nice. 
how do we reach out and convert those people without inherently antagonizing them in a way that makes the retaliation worse? Has I been think they're already too far gone. I think they just need to get COVID and mm. die. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is a... No but, no, but that is... Don't know what else could be right. done. Ever. Right. <laughs> right. But it's... It's funny and it's it's a little funny and it's the truth in terms of, yeah, they have to get COVID in order to see the light, but they have to be in the tunnel of light and then like all the way. Yeah. They've got to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid. I, I think some people, it was a whole phenomenon of just like, even though, you know, you're wrong, just digging in your heels, not a very mature stance. Usually one taken by three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But that that's what we're seeing, I think, on a on a national level. And that's what's really Yeah, and that's what's really, really frustrating for me. It like literally, like I feel like the things that Trump has done, both with his personal life, i.e. The, the 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 wives that keep coming in, one of them is a birther mm. and the other one sponsored her family and like he cheated on all of them and all this stuff. And his businesses, like, and which, by the way, I watched the first couple of seasons of The Apprentice, and he. No way. We actually studied it in one of my classes in grad school. And and it's like, for some, I want to talk to people who voted for him and be like, okay, all these other people did, like, literally, you're going to sit here and say Bill Clinton is an evil person because Monica Lewinsky sucked his dick, knew he was married, but then Donald Trump cheated on his wives and I was, I'm like wait why is one, one right why is one okay uh, rape the 12 year old we still don't care right like I, she was 12 I 12 yeah yeah the, the 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 list of actually um underage people that he raped and molested is yeah. long uh-huh but he's not black so we don't care we right. don't care yeah. I actually taught this in my one-on-one classes at UMass when we were analyzing essays about current events was this phenomenon of the transparency of whiteness, where if there's a white guy that commits a crime, you can see through to, oh, but he was abused as a child, or oh, but he came from a broken home, or oh, but there was this poverty, there's all this stuff you can see through. And then if the same young man, young person commits the same crime, but they're not white, they don't get that transparency. They're just opaque. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or leniency. And, yeah. And it's just just a thing. Cleese, did you have anything that you have written recently Ooh. that you would like to read? That I have here? No. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. I'll just tell people to be really excited about the guest salutation that Cleese uh, wrote for the next <laughs> for the next issue. Ooh, I know how exciting is that. Yeah, I'm scaling it back as we speak. Yes. <laughs> you know, if you go long, you go long though, because we're, we're really we're not releasing this issue till September fifth. Because we skipped the, the June cycle because obviously we couldn't go to our normal right. local business advertisers with our p- hands out because we knew they had yeah. nothing. Right. So for the first time, I think in over a dozen years, we skipped 
skipped a quarter. Wow. Well, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> them are the times we live in. Yeah. It's true, but still, yeah. So what else shall we say? Where do you know we've been chatting for an hour and fourteen minutes, guys? <laughs> Yay! There's a lot to be said on this, though. There is a lot to be said. And I especially think just trans and just black women lives have been, yes, young black men have had targets on their back, but trans and queer black women have been, I think, perhaps equally or maybe even more endangered. And erased yeah. because, like, frankly, almost all of these movements have happened because of black women and especially, like, queer black women. And mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. like, somebody else takes the reins and is like, rah, 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 and we follow them. We forget about all these people that started this for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because one of the things I thought about, and I don't know if this is, like, a brilliant contribution, which is why I haven't formulated it correctly and thoroughly thought it out, but this is the first time I'm like getting it out of my brain and saying it to someone else and thinking about why, and I'm not saying that it's okay, but why black trans death is like, it's an, like it's, it's accepted. And one of the things that I thought about is this is still an even more marginalized group where people believe that they should not exist And when you think about that notion and someone killing Mm. them, someone is taking an authority to get rid of a sore that shouldn't exist. And I think this is why black trans death has just been such a, you know, like not like not the right rage, not just swept under the rug almost. I feel. Not just because like black men are being murdered doesn't mean that masculinity isn't still toxic. Like the way that gender runs through the black community is and homophobia, frankly, in general, runs through the black community is something that still still needs to be addressed. And frankly, like the way that the movement tends to compartmentalize instead of again intersectionality of, (laughs) of these problems, like we're okay with it. Like we say we're okay with it because like they didn't fit the norm of what we want the movement to look like. Yeah. And that's upsetting. Cause like they, it's, they are no less our people and they're still dead and they should still be breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, like take up their names too. And I think they're even more of our people because they're fighting hard to live their authentic self. Right. They're even more our people. I think so, yeah. too. And so it just, and also it breaks my heart that many of them have been murdered by a lover. And I'm just like, what gives you the authority to kill that person? Like, you, fan, you fantasize and you fetishize them, but then you don't think that they deserve to breathe. They're only your eyes. I haven't formulated the concept that's an issue, yet. That's an issue with fetishization at its at its core yeah. too. Like, what, like looking at people because fetishization. Wow, that word is so hard it to is. say. Is it is? It's a tongue twister. It is objectification too. So the moment you take that lust and basically turn it into an object as opposed to a person, like then you have, feel like you have the right to treat that object however you feel, including destroying right. it. But that's like 
Does this also happen because so many, I mean, unfortunately, young trans people are forced to make their living as sex workers and sex workers are often just seen as possessions? Yes, this is also due to the demonization of sex work. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. true. Yeah. Oh. Oh, one of my favorite books to carry on the bus was whores. Not like we're not even discussing like sex work is real work. Like it is, it should be protected as it any is, other industry. And I thoroughly that, agree. That's that, like, Guys, there's I, no discussion to be had yeah. on that. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to stop talking quite yet. I think we should go another five or 10, but I just want to. Yes. Oh yeah. So Mark yeah. is here to help me pause. Sorry. We've been here. We should leave this in the podcast. Yes. Right? I'm just going <laughs> to and then maybe we talk for another 10 minutes where you have your break yes. and then we come back. No. And, and I hope this is caught in the recording, but. Oh, yay. <laughs> hey, Mark. But I hope, like, I like, honestly, and Khalees, like you, have, girl, you have no idea. Like if sex work were legalized, I would be running a motherfucking brothel. Like I, and also I think, I think even, Taking it to another level, if sex work were more legalized, me personally, I wouldn't have had the issues that I've had regards to dating because men wouldn't have looked at me as an object to have sex. They could have just paid for it from somewhere else, as a, you know, as opposed to this mm. tricking me to believe that they're interested in me romantically. We sleep together and then they fucking disappear. Like, I feel like, oh, geez. yeah, like, I feel like legalized sex work would change so much in terms of well it also it also would like change changed um like restrictions on pursuing rape cases also um because like if this is now business like it's treated differently because it is every time money is involved um like just the amount of power that that returns to to people in general, especially with regarding their sexual health is like just amazing. And I wish that we would do it and we probably won't. We are more likely to get civil war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yay. Just to, you know, end on a yeah. good note. <laughs> <laughs> just as a guy jumping in while, while our illustrious hosts needs to take a bathroom break. I, I, I do agree. I mean, I just got here, but yeah, our attitudes towards sexuality, uh, it's so messed up. We don't, we don't get taught relationship uh, balance as a, as a society in general. It's sort of swept under the rug because sex is taboo. It's treated and, as power yes. struggle within our within America. So like the way we treat sexuality is rooted in white supremacy. It's rooted in, in patriarchy and it's taught to us as such. Like, and like, and it's taught that way in the medical community too, which does not help. Yeah. So like yeah. all yeah. of those factors compounded, like, like it's just a, it's a power structure that like, like leads to our demise at, at every yeah, because I wonder if how many people know, like when when some women, when some cis women go for their annual checkups, like one of the questions that they ask, at least in my experience, has been, you know, how many sexual partners have you had? Assuming that I'm having sex with cis men, 
And then when they hear the number, there's this conversation around, you know, like it, it becomes a part of shame. Like, why aren't you protecting yourself? And why aren't you doing this? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, first off, you're assuming what I'm doing. Like literally when I give them the answer, like one time I was like, I had five partners in the past six months. And then all of a sudden without going into the other questions about whether or not I had protected sex and all this stuff, they just assumed that I didn't. And then started having this very condescending conversation with me about sexual, like sexual behavior. And I'm just like, I can't right now. (laughs) Here's Elizabeth. (laughs) It's recorded. There's recordings of it. Yes. Bullet in the 
the chamber Sent to kill a stranger by a hateful, deranged figure It's not the guns, it's the trigger It's the bullet in the chamber Sent to kill a nigger by a hateful, deranged figure Hands up, don't shoot With a Today, oh hey, and our a how many deaths you facilitate? Oh hey, and our a how many souls did you kill today? Oh hey, and our a how many hearts did you break today? Hands up, don't shoot. We're been talking for an hour yeah, and a half. I know I can't believe it. Well, like I texted Nicole and I'm like, just just so you've got space to rant in whatever way you want. And she's like, I could go for days. Yeah. I'm like, I wish yeah. we could just like 
Meat for Tea presents the 72 hour <laughs> Meat for Tea cast. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just a part of it. I move in and out. Um, so I have a question for you, yes. Nicole. Like, how are you keeping yourself sane in these days? Like, I've been running, so I've been running a, a FUBU uh, Zoom meeting every two weeks. I I love the fact that FUBU has re-entered my vocabulary in the past like three months, but that's that's true. Um, nice. Just mostly about like maintaining like like back mental health and like like just kind of trying to connect with with brown people in a space that's like that again is like by us for us. So. Um, like, how have you been keeping yourself, you know, generally like afloat and okay in the moments where you're okay? Because we can't be okay all the time. And that is also okay. Oh, that is such a great question. So, yeah, so starting off, my therapist who is making really good money, she is like, Nicole, I really <laughs> need you to institute like self care bad. She's like, I need you to like literally come up with a system of something to do because you're not doing it. And I'm always a hot ass mess when I talk to her because I am going, not only am I going through the stuff that's going on in the world and in our society, I'm going through a lot of personal shit too. And so like, honestly, and this is so bad. Like one of the things that I do for myself is I veg on shows that I know that will make yes. me laugh. And I like, yeah, <laughs> like, so I, I'm driving my house crazy where I'm watching like episodes of how I met your mother, like for the 90th time. And they're like, didn't you just see this episode yesterday? I'm like, yes, I just saw it yesterday. Um, but I, cause what ends up happening, I turtle a lot. And my friend Diana Alvarez calls mm-hmm. me on it, but sometimes I feel like I need to do it where if I'm going I love her, yeah, I, she is amazing. Where I literally, where she I is. I need to have do. her on. Yeah, where, yeah, I where will. I literally have to like bury myself in order to recover. And I think the reason, one of the reasons why I do that, is because when I get so high stress, I don't know how to communicate what I need, and people are always like, "Let me know what you need." And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Or whenever I'm talking mm-hmm. with other people, it's usually I'm always taking care of the other person rather than having it be about me. So it's Mm. been hard for me to reach out to our people because a lot of the time it's I'm taking care of other people when I'm distressed. So now what's been happening because like my Jody and Diana and really close friends of mine know that I turtle. They know I like, you know, so they reach out to me like the other night Jody and I, she's one of my close friends. She works at University of Hartford. She's um, originally from, she grew up in St. Lucia. Um, and she oh, like, lovely. yeah, she called me out of nowhere the other night and we haven't talked in a while. And we bullshit around, like, including like looking up, I don't know how it came up, but we looked up one of my, we were trying to look up one of my recent exes to see what he was up to and to see if his divorce was finalized. <laughs> and... Or like Diana texting me like on when like hump day and you know so it's like friends have to check in on me because I'm really bad at checking in on myself because I'm typically the one who has to take care of other people so I'm trying to find I get that yeah so like some of the self like I and I didn't even realize it was self care but the things that bring me a lot of pleasure like I 
love cooking and I specifically love brewing coffee and exploring various methods of brewing cool coffee. What's your favorite? What's your favorite right now? I love pour over and I am addicted to monsoon roastery, which is in Springfield mass, giving them a nice plug and shout out their organic panic. We have already gone through four bags of organic panic in the past month. It's their coffee is so, so good. But I like, I would love, well, one, because I also feel like I need my people, but I don't want to do it over Zoom because I Zoom so much for work. Like, I I do need, yeah, I do need to find a way to connect with my people because I, like, you girl, like, you should see how much I get sad when I'm like flipping through something and I see. Like black, like a TV show, and black people are congregating. I get all sad. I'm like, damn, I miss this. Or if I'm out shopping right. and I see a black family, I'm like, hey, how y'all doing? Black politics. And they look at me like, Gosh. what? <laughs> so yeah, and that's a that's a long response, but yeah, that's how I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm glad there's people who like kind of like come and and balance you out when you feel a little bit unbalanced. I'm glad that's happening. Yeah, and now my cat is drink. Why are you drinking my water, cat? Sorry. The cat is, was like, I'm going to have your water right now. And I'm like, because it tastes better when it's in your glass. Don't you know that already? Right. And I'm like, no, cat, you can't have my water. Um, I have also been cooking a lot. Know. Like, cooking is, is stress relief for me. And since I'm from a giant family, I can't not cook copious amounts. So various neighbors have been getting little porch packets from me. It's like, nice. hey, green chili stew, here you go. Hey, I made jambalaya. I d- can't fit this in my fridge. <laughs> yeah, can you make me some food that can't fit in your fridge? Because I will make it fit in mine. <laughs> <laughs> You're an amazing cook, too, Khalid. Yeah, it's just been like, that's been... It is true. When I can, and it's been difficult, like, in the pandemic, in part because, like, this actually kind of comes full circle to the moving thing because my house is terrible um and my landlords are also terrible Uh, and like my sink doesn't work really so when i want to it's a big production where i have to like kind of plan out and like figure out like how i'm gonna you know like mammy these dishes because i have to do it 1850 style in like a tub and like take it outside oh my god (laughs) no i'm not right not, not joking um, so one of the things that I'm is really horrible. Excited, one of the things I'm really excited about moving is like having a sink, that running water, indoor work. running water, indoor running water. I just don't have a, a draining system that works. Oh my god! So like it's been turn like, that landlord in. That. Like actually, when I formed my quarantine pad, like like they've been getting every like I go over there twice a week. Like I cook, we drink, we watch movies. And that's been like my self-care process, basically. Like I have three other people in my life who I see on a regular basis who are like part of my pod, who I get to touch when I need hugs. And then like, and I feed them. And that's the thing that's kind of been keeping me sane. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is lovely. You know, before coronavirus, before the quarantine really hit, I was going to actually reach out to you, Khalees, and be like, Hey, do you want to do Feaster again? Ooh. Oh yeah. Remember uh, Feaster? We did, we, did, we did a veggie Easter and it was not the same because I wasn't allowed to make rabbit, but that's okay. 
And, <laughs> um, but like, I still got to do it with, with the quarantine pod and it was really lovely because there wasn't a way I was going to miss it, but it was much diminished for not having like more people I was able to feed. It was still good. Yeah. Like I always in uh, Homewood suites. We were in a Hilton Homewood suites with their so-called fully equipped kitchen, which is a two burner electric stove and a microwave. I figured out how to make a pineapple upside down cake on top of the stove. Oh, it's fun. You use the lid in your, on your stove. You kind of steam it. I was proud of myself. It actually turned out really nice. Yeah. It was a thing. It was That's a, a really cool method for cooking cakes. I recently discovered that trolling Japanese cooking videos because that's a thing that I do. <laughs> I like that thing. Like that you can cook cakes, like full cakes in, in a skillet. Like it's just a matter of like, like watching your heat and steaming it basically. And same thing it for rice. Oh, wow. Takes yeah. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it works. So, I'm I'm feeling like we have done this. Also, I've not. Oh eaten no! Yet. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm, I, have I'm, to, I have to do my show and then go find some dinner. We so, but first, first, before I let you illustrious women go, you must plug yourselves. You must uh, talk. Tell us about what you have going on, where people can read your work well obviously please we know your salutation is going to be in the upcoming issue of meat for tea and nicole's definitely submitting some writing yes that's a thing that's happening um but what are you doing what, what's going on with you guys what what cool things do you have on deck and i expect them to be largely um happening in a virtual sphere of course <laughs> pretty much there isn't much for me like i'm like Come find me on air. Listen to the river every day. Yes. I'm pretty much there except Sunday, uh, 10 to 3 on weekdays and 9 to 2 on Saturdays. You can hear my very verbose opinions about music. Nice. <laughs> I like verbose opinions about music, especially yours. <laughs> they can be erudite. Yes. <laughs> I try. I try. And Nicole, yeah. tell us about your upcoming projects and what people need to check out. Come find us on... Also, if you want to see pictures of the food that I've been making, check out our page on Instagram because one of our one, it's called Corn Feed 413, all, all one word. You'll find I am it. super following that. I'm about to find it right now. <laughs> oh my God, me too. I'm psyched for that. Corn... Corn Feed. Corn Feed 413. Yeah. That's brilliant. I love that. Is it okay that I just licked my phone when I saw the food? I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> That's just a normal response, I'm pretty sure. Yes. That, that probably, that's your negative coronavirus test. It shows your taste buds are yes! <laughs> I can still smell and taste. I'm like, yes. Right. So you're good, girl. You're Yay! good. <laughs> All right, Nicole, tell us what people need to yes. check out. Yes, so I have a couple of things. So um, my website is my name, www.nicolemyoung.com. There you could find me on social media, which I post a lot on Instagram about writing that I'm doing. And yes. in terms of in terms of things going on in events. So my album is still on sale. <clears throat> so... Yeah. Oh, I should yes. get one. So 
the um, I self-produced a spoken word album a couple years ago. I recorded in front of a live audience and I released it in 2019. Um, that's available on my website. It's called Input Live in the Valley. And I talk about my experience of being a single black woman in the valley, which includes um, experiences with dating and the Sweet. and how my identities formed around the ways people saw me in the realm of dating. Um, the CD is on sale and proceeds from the CD have gone to create a program for um, women and non-binary write, um, writers of color who are at the early stages of their career through Straw Dog Writers Guild. So no, and we have our first fellow this year, Amina Jordan Mendez, a poet. Very nice. Yeah, who started the program in January. So there's like a really nice stipend. Mentor support, we pay for them to do a retreat. So know that not only is money from the CD going to, you know, give me a little bit of income, but it's also generating um, support for another writer in the area. The other thing I have, the couple of other things I have going in terms of future events. So I'm also a member of Valley Society, which is... It's fairly new. It started about a year ago through um, Christopher J. Sparks, who's another member of Straw Dog Writers Guild. And we were looking mm-hmm. as a social group to convene other Black identified writers in Western Massachusetts. And they were one of the organizations, along with Attack Bear Press, that hosted the um, Black Writers Read event that I put together a couple of weeks ago for Juneteenth. So, with Valley Society, given that we had such an enormous response, both in people who wanted to read and people who watched. We're now talking about creating Black Writers Read as a series where yes. we feature mm-hmm. a, a Black writer each episode where they'll read an excerpt of their work and then we'll do an interview with them. So I'm going to be in the process of producing that, including like maybe coming up with a patron for that because I would like to pay the guest that's on an honorarium. Um, for being on the show. Very cool. And then the other show I'm working on too, because I paid a lot for StreamYard, is, um, which is, which is a live <laughs> streaming um, broadcast system, is called Creating in Color. And what I want that to be is, is an interview with other artists of color and talking about the process of what brings them to their art. And I want to specifically talk to artists whose work reflects their multiple identities. Um, so mm. like, like for example, like I really want to talk with Jason Montgomery and Diana Alvarez, whose work is heavily influenced by their cultural identities and also their, nice. um, their, their gender and sexual identities as well. And talk to them about, okay, like what, why do you put yourself out there in this way, because um, I know like one of the things like Diana and I talked about, one of her songs, people think it's a beautiful lullaby when instead it's a song of resistance. And I love that now she gives it because it's in Spanish. And now that she cool. gives that introduction and says, people think this is a beautiful lullaby or a love song. No, this is a song of protest. And so I want her to kind of talk about, to talk about her work and like, developing it and all of that. Cause I'm someone as an artist, I'm very interested in not only the finished product, but I'm interested 
and the work itself. And so that's the, the process. process. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a big process head. This is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So please, I'll be tapping you once. Well, one for Valley Society and two, cause it's a, it's a great group. It's forming. It's a very great group, but also, um, cool. This has been so great. I love both of you guys so, so much. This has been a wonderful, I, I can't believe, I think, I think we could have probably gone 72 hours <laughs> if I didn't get hungry. I'm hungry We're though. Hungry. Don't <laughs> don't make eat. this happen. <laughs> it's, it's I'm like, please go eat. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Love you guys. Right. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this. I'm Thanks so yes. Thank you so much for having us and and Elizabeth. I miss running into you and us talking about your grandkids and your baking. I'm like, oh, I know. Right. No one runs into me now. I'm immune compromised. I just like stay in this glamorous house and that and do meat for tea and do my podcast and do my chat books and. Well, I do have 11 going on the counter. There will be bread. <laughs> that almost sounded like that film, There Will Be Blood. There will be yeah. bread. <laughs> yep. I was immediately thinking. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm going to call it. Love, Love you. Bye. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. I live on a mountain, all my stars at night. All the constellations I can name, I'm left to right. I got my winter wood and my firelight on my own. The hill town roads winding, a western climb, long drift food takes me 20 miles, but I got sunsets off the balcony. A Berkshire style, I laugh to myself, but I hardly ever smile on my own. On my own, 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 oh my oh oh oh, and this what I always wanted. In the stainless sink All there really is to do Is sit and think And press rewind And reflect On my foolishness And neglect On my own Back roads and shortcuts I love to find Like when I drive in Brooklyn And you would just or roll your eyes or some lead us somewhere Some dead ends, kinda like our love That turned into friends Kinda like our love that turned into friends Oh, 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 isn't this what I always want?
Produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meet for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Sewn Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meet for Tea at www.meetfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meetforteacast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meetforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth. Meat for Tea on Instagram and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.